segment of study with the um, red letters and the Gospels. And um, I, I hope that uh, all of y'all have enjoyed it as much as I have, especially our uh, teachers that we've had. We've had some, uh, other than me, we've had some really, really good teachers. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from them in the future. Um, if you do not know, um, the area, the second area that I was given was, uh, or not given, but chose because it was um, one of the few left, <laughs> was uh, divorce and remarriage. And uh, over the past several weeks, thinking about this and, and um, you know, I was, I was talking to the uh, Pemberton's and John and I have talked this week actually about this ought to be pretty simple. Doug had in the kids scene, you know, one of the last things they said was, you know, the kids would say one man for one woman for life. The scriptures say that. Uh, and it ought to be something really, really simple. Um, but for some reason, it, it isn't anymore. There is a group called the Barna Group who does different surveys. And in their surveys, so-called born-again Christians are just as likely to divorce as non-Christians. I'm not sure when this was taken, but it's been in the last uh, four or five years. And among married born-again Christians, 35% have experienced a divorce. And that figure is identical to the outcome of um, married adults who are not considered born-again Christians. Um, it also said uh, the figures show that about almost a quarter of the married born-agains, or 23%, get divorced two or more times. So what, what's the... What do you think the apparent cause for this is? Just a lack of knowledge, lack of biblical knowledge. Yeah, possibly, possibly. And I don't know. I'm just throwing and, and asking um, some some opinions. And we were talking just a few minutes ago. It seems like it's been more prevalent between my generation and, and, and my kids' generation of this, this going on. Uh, you probably have heard many times from different people their excuse of why they got a divorce is God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. And I would like to get them to show me where in the scripture it says God wants you to be happy, at least in the sense that they're look, they're talking about. What are your thoughts on that? Maybe happiness is not the same as joy, because we are supposed to be joyful. You know, even John and I were talking. Even as a Christian, we're told that we may not not just be not happy, but we may be persecuted. If you look at the first century Christians and how they were killed, not just persecuted in the sense that we think of today of being rejected by the public or, or what have you, they were, they were being executed. 
Um, I think it goes down to who has the ultimate authority. And, and it seems like a lot of people have tried to bring God closer to them instead of letting God pull them closer to Him. They want God to be more like them and more understanding, I guess, than, uh, than He may be towards them. And, and I'm just thinking that as a thought. Um, when you look at the authority, who has the ultimate authority? John and I talked about this. God has the authority. Right. Right. Um, people are looking at um, their feelings for their authority. Um, if it feels good, it must be right. Uh, and the Bible specifically warns about this. The Bible warns against trusting your feelings. Um, there is a way which seems right to man, but its, and, uh, its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14 Verse 12, he who trusts his own heart is a fool, Proverbs 28:24. And O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And it's Jeremiah 10, um, 23. So I think um, knowing that, um, we can see where People are, you know, talking about their feelings and stuff as far as it goes. Um, specifically, let's, let's turn to Matthew 5, verse And uh, whoever gets there, if you would, go ahead and read 31 and 32. Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits, suicide, commits adultery. So that should be a mic drop and walk off the stage type point right there. Um, but it isn't. So um, I think the apparent reason most people believe that, that this is not a sin is, um, or they believe that this is okay is it's uh, not necessarily sinful. Um, Bible scholars and teachers point out that Jesus taught that divorce was a sin unless adultery was involved, and few Americans buy into that notion. Um, only one out of every seven adults, or about 15%, strongly agree with the statement when a couple gets divorced without one of them having committed adultery, they are committing sin. And a majority of both Protestants and Catholics, 58% uh, for Protestants and 69% of Catholics disagree that divorce without adultery involved the commission of sin. Um, what do you think about some of that? Do you think that's pretty accurate or of, of like your peer group um, outside of church? Right. Don't that pretty much? 
Whether it was, and some people think, well, it wasn't, I didn't have a um, marriage performed in a church or the preacher didn't do it or, you know, a judge, we just went before the judge that that is not technically being married. Um, you know, when, when two come together before God and, and, and are married, um, whether it's in this church building or in any church building or a chapel or if it's in the woods somewhere, uh, it doesn't matter. That That is a marriage. It's a sanctified marriage. I do think it's important to note, though, that the phrasing of the question in the survey might be a little askew just because the Greek phrase that's used in this verse is porneia, which is directly translated sexual immorality, and adultery would definitely qualify, but it's not the only sexual sin that Jesus is talking about here. So I actually would have found myself saying that, it, you know, I would have answered in the way that you probably wouldn't have just because of the technical wording of the verse. That's a, you know, that's a good point, and I have... Um been reading a lot about that uh, and, and from other commentaries um, talking about that, and that is used. But if you look at the society nowadays, you know, I bet if you pulled, if you could pull all the records of divorces, how many would just say for irreconcilable differences? There may or may not have been any sexual immorality at all. It's just irreconcilable differences. And how often just people are just getting bored with one another. And, and they, they feel like they're justified in that. God wouldn't want me to be um, unhappy. In this Sermon on the Mount, especially, especially here in um, chapter 5, 31 and 32, the scribes and Pharisees taught that divorce was permissible for any reason, as long as the certificate of divorce was granted. And technically, uh, it was. Um, but that technicality was written in by man. It wasn't God's intention from the beginning. Um, the effect was to or, but the effect was to defile the wife when she, you know, remarries. Um, it's interesting to note her remarriage defiled her. So that's. Um, that's something I've always thought, thought was really interesting is it never says whether it defiled the man or not. Don't know why, but um, I think it's because men were the ones that rewrote the law. Um, the second marriage of a woman who has been divorced is, uh, is designated by Moses a defilement of the woman, a moral defilement blemishing desecration of the sexual communion which is sanctified by marriage in the same sense in which adultery is called a defilement. That's Leviticus 18 verse 20 and Numbers 5, 13 and 14. So then the second marriage of a divorced woman was placed uh, implicitly upon uh, par with adultery. So, and some approach was made towards the teachings of Christ concerning this. So, um, 
still I haven't found anything in here that says um, that you're supposed to be happy eternally uh, in your marriage. Jesus taught that divorce led to adultery unless fornication was the cause of the divorce. Now, John and I talked, was it Thursday you called me? And we were talking about several different things on this uh, this class, and um, just because the adultery or fornication is, is talked about here, and that is the one caveat that Christ gave, doesn't necessarily mean that that should end a marriage. Um, I still think that, um, you know, we're to forgive and try to work it out if at all possible. And, um, and I think that's what is implied in the scriptures. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts and opinions on that because you see so much of it nowadays where it's just give up and move on. Inside the church and outside the church, you can see which which ones have a higher success rate or survival rate. I believe that inside the church, that would be that would be higher. I'm, You'd definitely hope it would be because there's more foundation there to read. Yeah, on. yeah. Um, the bill the bill of divorce did not necessarily end the first marriage. Is the second part of this. Um, Jesus described the second marriage as uh, committing adultery, and the term adultery implies the first marriage is still valid or binding. So if someone is married, just no cause, just we can't get along, and they get remarried, um, I think the thought is that there is, it's not sinful. You're not living in adultery if you're remarried. Um, thoughts on that? Chris, I think one of the, the things that we need to look at is the example that God has set for us with regard to those relationships. So there's been multiple times in the scriptures where his relationship to us is compared to a marriage. And uh, multiple times where you see the point that he made, such as the whole book of, what, Hosea? Uh, you know, where you deal with the idea of the wife being unfaithful, but yet everything being pushed to to reunite and reconcile the two. And the, the comparison, of course, that we have in our spiritual lives is the fact of him giving up his son Jesus to reconcile us so we can be put back together in that relationship, that we have sinned greatly against him, uh, whatever that sin might be, but that that, that relationship is reconciled. And I think that comparison that he gives time and time again of our relationship with him or our the church relationship with him being the bride of Christ and, and, you know, that relationship being compared is important as we think about our personal lives, too, because I, I truly believe that God wants us to try and reconcile and to, to be united because that's what he did. And I think it's hard for anybody to really dispute that and debate that. And I understand it may not be possible. And I think that's why you get the exception, which I know you're going to get to in Matthew 18, but with regard to the idea of, the, of putting away for adultery or fornication um, there, those, those sexual, um, physical sins that 
breach that relationship, they cannot overcome, and there's no reconciliation possible. I understand that. But I think in all things, even when that occurs, if reconciliation can occur, it's important because that's the parallel that he gives to us in our lives is to forgive and to reconcile toward one another because we are to be joined together. So if, if someone in a marriage relationship were to make that kind of a disastrous mistake, that the choice would be like God, is that we would hope that they would repent, that they would change, and that we would somehow be able to be reconciled together. You know, he's, he's assuming, uh, I mean, you're assuming that both people are interested in doing the right thing. Right. But one person can't keep a marriage that the other person doesn't want to be in. True, true. It doesn't mean you're necessarily free to marry again, but you can't make someone stay in it who doesn't want to be. Right. Yeah, and that's a, that's, um, a tough situation there, too, when you have that. Um, but going back to what you know, uh, John was talking about, how many times have we separated ourselves from God and, and He has forgiven us for whatever it was? And I think that the, the person who is forgiving in that situation is ultimately going to be a much better person in the end because of that. It's... it's um, um, and that's just my opinion, but I think that that's, that is the case. Um, you know, in his response to the Pharisees, um, Jesus said, you know, you, you, um, divorce was permissible, he says, for, for, uh, for any reason. And then he says, um, you know, explain that Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. But it was not God's will from the beginning. And, and he talks about in, in creation. That's Matthew 19, verse 8. Um, Jesus then provides the only ground for divorce uh, without it leading to adultery. Uh, if the innocent spouse puts away his, um, his or her spouse for fornication, is, uh, being that only permissible um, reason, and to get remarried. Um, when you were, you know, it's like when you were talking about it, you can't make somebody stay married to you if they are not wanting to be there. And, and that's a, a situation I think that we see a lot more often now, maybe because it's more publicized, it's in the uh, media and in all of the um, gossip columns and stuff like that for, for, you know, people that are in uh, in the spotlight that um, they get divorced for whatever reason somebody doesn't want to be there um, what do you do then the person that wants to be married yet can't keep that their spouse with them what are they to do I think that's why it's so important that we choose the right spouse and I think that's something that we've forgotten is it's not just a promise between two humans. It's a holy covenant before God. And I think he wants us to recognize the importance of that. Um, so that, I believe, is why he only allows remarriage in an instance of adultery. Because that's the only broken promise. I mean, if you even think about physical abuse, he doesn't make an exception for physical abuse. So can that woman leave the abusive relationship? Well, sure. Does that mean she gets to form a brand new covenant with somebody else? 
No, right? Because God wants us to realize that covenant is holy and matters. Um, we have two attorneys in here for sure. Um, when you're talking about marriage and divorce, I've always been told that there's a lot more to getting a divorce than it is to 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 marry someone. Is that still pretty much the case? Sure, it's still the case. I mean, it's still a lot easier than it used to be. But I mean, there's certain state laws that require you to have a certain time period between the <laughs> signing of it to the finality of the divorce. You know, for purposes of a, it's really to encourage the relationship to continue, which is a good thing. Uh, it very rarely occurs. And I would say the biggest downfall in our society has not been the embracement of homosexuality and, and homosexual marriage. It's actually probably the institution of the no contest, no fault divorce. Uh, probably is really the, the impetus of the downfall of our society. Uh, and that's what you have because what you, you said a minute ago, irreconcilable differences is the number one and the majority cause for those who file for divorce. That's what you see. Um, it's the easy way out. Uh, because you're not having to place fault or prove or show any any reason to actually nullify that marriage relationship. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, you can get married by going, I mean, depending on what state you're in now, go just get a marriage license and that's it. Boom. And there's no questions asked. You do that and have a ceremony and you're good. There's no other premarital counseling required. There's no time frame that's, you know, your license is good for however many days the state is said but you know besides that that's the only limitation you have on getting married but divorcing yeah it is i mean you're paying for divorce fees attorney fees you're paying for um you know the, the time frame you know sometimes there's mandatory counseling that's involved if there's children there so yeah there's a lot more things that are involved on, usually legally uh, but it's still not difficult under current state law and to me it seems like it ought to be just the opposite or at least as equally um, difficult on the front end as the back end um, and, and and oftentimes uh, you see people get you know they meet each other um, and are married within just a you know a few days to a few weeks of uh, meeting each other and and that is so and a lot of times it works you see it it works but more often than not, it, it doesn't, or at least it gives problems throughout. If they stay together, it gives, they, there are a lot of problems throughout the marriage. It's not a good, wholesome marriage. Um, and uh, I think that is, is very troubling. Um, you know, um, I think, too, that a lot of divorces um, for the irreconcilable differences is due to jealousy either jealousy of um, somebody's st status changing in their their job or their role in, in the household and the, the, the earnings that they make to their popularity, whether it's, you know, in um, on the screen or whether it's um, just in the community um, or what have you. Yes, sir. What you said was true, maybe, but what it leads to is the thinking that we have today. Let's just live together for a year to make sure we know everybody. Right out. And so we know that's a sin. So, right. Uh, I mean, you fall into a trap when you say love at first sight don't work. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for me. It worked for me. <laughs> 52 years. Um.
Yeah, that's that that is something that we see an awful lot of today. And, and John was talking about earlier about um, you know the uh, he brought up the homosexuality and and and, and stuff in this day and age and and then you get into the non-binary sexuality you get into um, I mean there's so many things that have been opened up in the past few just very few years in our society and across the world really and and not every place in the world but in most of your so-called civilized um, nations that um, you know, anything goes. And um, that's where I believe, too, you start seeing a lot of problems. Maybe they don't, uh, one spouse or the other does not um, turn to homosexuality or, or whatever, but maybe they believe strongly that it's, you know, it's okay, you know, um, and, and that becomes a wedge that's driven in between a relationship. Um, We're talking about these like they're different problems, but at their core, they're the same problem. Yeah. Um, we see sort of a a cascading effect happening. First, the sanctity of marriage was breached when we started disregarding it, and, and like John was saying, the irreconcilable differences started to be more common. And then down the road, we see homosexuality. In recent years, transgenderism, and I know that this is gross, but I, I cover this in the news quite a bit, um, there is now a movement towards pedophilia. And and if you think about it, as horrible as that is, the logic all fits. Because if you start from the worldview of uh, marriage is, is just an institution that we invented for convenience and it doesn't actually mean anything, there's no sanctity there, and that uh, for the religious community, well, God would just want me to be happy. Well, then all of that stuff makes sense. Because if God would just want me to be happy, why can't I be married to a man or two men or, you know, have several different people or why can't I engage in sexual intercourse with a minor, things like that. If, if the standard is everybody's there, there is having a good time, then why would we have any other limiting principle? And that's the problem that you run into is sometimes we think about these things as all being separate issues, but at their core, they all go back to the same spiritual problem. And we're just seeing it evolve as it, as it continues to snowball and go on. Yeah, that same spiritual problem is the, the lack of, in, in my opinion, of um, submitting to the ultimate authority, period. Not just this sin, not just what we're talking about here, but all sin is, is, is selfishness, it's, it's the lack of humility, and it's the lack of submitting to that complete authority. Were you going to say something? Yeah. When I like how, how Jesus starts out this section. He said, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, give her a certificate and send her on her way. And that comes from Deuteronomy 24. And it says, um, if a man takes a wife, finds something indecent, he, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. We, but if you read that, if you find something indecent and writes her a certificate of divorce, and if she goes away and marries again, and that husband dies, the first guy can't remarry. That's the that's the thing that's going on right there. So the, they've taken this, if you find something indecent and you write her a certificate of divorce and she remarries, you can't remove it. That's the scenario, not, so they've taken this down and saying, well, you can just divorce for, for anything. And, and usually most people have heard that as some sort of 
um, sexual impropriety, whatever it works out. And so you see that when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, he wants to divorce her quietly because that's what Deuteronomy 24 says. There's something going on, I need to do that. And it's real hard to repair a relationship. You know, what's that, the, the pound of prevention? Ounce of prevention, right? Sure. <laughs> it's worth a pound of cure. You know, when, when, uh, when I was doing my PhD work, I was traveling once a month to go to, go to classes and uh, there was a lady researcher on staff that was, her, I loved her writing, I loved her topic, but so, so I'm not gonna put myself in a situation where I'm working with this woman because that's not fair to my wife. I mean, nothing's gonna happen, but I'm, I'm gonna protect my relationship with Dina rather than having this fantastic researcher on my team, you know? And I had a discussion with some of my cohort about that and some of them kind of laughed at me, but several of them said, you know what, I appreciate you putting your family first. You know, and if, you know, talking to the men here, if we value our wives and hold them up, then I think that's really the, the teaching that we need to be engaged in. And uh, thank you for taking this topic, because I saw it on the list and I said, there ain't no, <laughs> no way. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. Proud <laughs> Well, considering what I had left to choose from, I, it was probably material. I hate the Lord, and anyone who's gone through that or been close to people going through that, you hate it too. There's nothing good about it, you know, period. Um, and I think this passage in Deuteronomy that Jesus is commenting on, it was designed to protect the woman. You can't just throw her away for anything. You see Samson leaving his wife behind, coming back, she's remarried ties a bunch of foxtails together, burns everything down because the dad thought his daughter had been abandoned because Samson did, but Samson, according to this, should have given her a certificate, which he didn't, and so it caused all kinds, I mean, it's just problems. And I think in the, you know, I, I pray for my children to find a spouse that loves the Lord and loves them, and, and you know, you start early, protect, you know, building that in, but, you know, you can't make somebody do right if they don't want to do right and you know, how do we as a church respond to helping the people who have been I don't know, gone through that you know right it's rough so thank you <laughs> I think it's interesting that you said you didn't want to address this topic because it's something that I think we complicate so much like society complicates it we let our feelings complicate it and if Chris just stood up there and read the Bible doesn't seem very complicated, right? Again, I mean, it seems mic drop, pretty straightforward. You know. So, well, and yeah. that really is kind of the origin of our, our problem, like I'm talking about. Um, you remember that the church was very hesitant to talk about this topic early on when it first came about, and then all of a sudden homosexuality comes out of nowhere. Like, where did this come from? Well, it's because we didn't head it off at the pass. And that's why a lot of Christians today, even in the Church of Christ, I read an article a couple of weeks ago where um, there are now Church of Christ that are, at least have the name on the building, that are accepting homosexual leaders in their church. It's rare, but it happens. And so it's the same problem. People don't want to sound mean or sound judgmental and don't want to say what the Bible says about it, and we see the results of that. I was going to say the same thing. I think it goes back to uh, the foundations that you set um, within yourself and within your children as you're raising your children. This shouldn't be something that you wait to talk about when they're fixing to get married. And you have to, me and Mitchell talk to the kids sometimes, and 
you know, we talk about how we want you to find somebody that loves God. And then we also say, and that doesn't mean it's going to be easy because mommy and daddy have not, it's not always been easy for us. We always love each other, but we don't always like each other. And I think it's right. I think it's important that that they know that, like that, you're they're gonna be hard days, and there might be hard weeks, and sometimes there might be hard months. But this was a commitment that we made, and when we said I do, we meant it. And no matter how hard it got or gets, that's a commitment, and we can't we can't break that. Um, and if you go into marriage knowing that. They're, like you're not getting out of this. You're, you, you shouldn't want to get out of it. And when you do want to get out of it, if that ever happens, like the answer is no. You're gonna, you do whatever you have to do to make things work out. And if you go in with that mindset and you teach your children that mindset, then they're gonna be more apt, I, I hope, to choose you know, someone they truly want to spend the rest of their life with. And then when things get hard, <coughs> they're gonna just know like we're, we gotta work this out there's no other option and then like he was saying it's important for us as Christians within our friend group and our our family when something like that arises we have to speak out and we have to speak the truth no matter how uncomfortable it is um, because that's what happens when Christians aren't speaking people are gonna hear the loudest the, those who are the loudest, that's who everyone's going to listen to. That's what's going on and right now, now, we're not the loudest. And so that's why it's accepted. You know, I, and, and the other thing, too, is if you speak out, you're considered um, not caring and not loving. And nobody ever wants to be considered that way. I don't, I don't think, you know, but... I, um, and there are things, when you do speak out, you need to speak out boldly but with some compassion for the person, not the sin. And I think we get that mixed up a lot. Um, you know, you were talking about, um, Kimberly, about the, you know, not being, you love each other, but may not like each other. And, and you see that happening so much. People think that it's going to be blissful from, day one till you, you pass away. And, and anything, any hiccup that comes along, um, you, you know, is, is terrifying and, and people are not prepared for it. Um, but it's gonna happen. Um, and when those things come up, whether it's financial, um, whether it's um, separation from each other by, because of the job, um, whatever it might be, a death in the family, sickness. Um, and you see that happen so often. I mean, uh, Kim and I have been through all of that, you know, where we've had very um, bad financial situations at times. When I was in the Air Force, you know, we, uh, we struggled financially. We really struggled, especially when we had to move to California and the rent alone was just ridiculous. And then... You know, um, we talked about um, whenever we were able to go out to eat or eat steak, grill out steak and stuff, how it was a special, you know, time, a moment. It didn't happen very often. And, um, and then, of course, me being separated uh, from Kim deployed, um, you know, it was very difficult, especially 
when there's children involved. And, uh, you know, we, I was in, um, deployed to Saudi Arabia. Mary Beth was a baby. And, um, of course, I missed all of that. Um, and on top of that, Mary Beth uh, got uh, scarlet fever. And Kim was freaking out about that, you know, and, and that's stress that, big time stress, you know. And so uh, people don't, um, aren't prepared for that. And I think it's um, so important as parents that we, we do prepare our kids for that. And, you know, um, I hate to say this, but if my children can't find a spouse that loves God, as much or more than them, I just assume them stay single, stay celibate because uh, of the different problems that can come up uh, when, that is, when that is mixed in. Uh, that's, and that's a tough thing to say because we want grandchildren, not anytime soon, but we do want grandchildren. Um, and, um, but, you know, I, if they can't, um, then I, I would just assume they, I'd be happy with them if, to stay single. Um, your first responsibility. I mean, that's what you have to remember you being a father and head of your house is that your, your three kids, my two, are our first responsibility. And then, then uh, yeah, as they get adults, they're going to make their own decisions. But just like you said, if he come down to marrying somebody that's going to take them and drive a wedge between them and God or drive a wedge between them and how they need to serve the Lord, then yeah, they just need to stay right there living with us in the house and, and be done with it. I don't want them living there in the house. Um, especially if they're making more money than me. But I do want them, you know, and I want them to be happy. But I think that happiness is much deeper than just happy with a spouse. Um, well, and, and I think, Chris, I think overall that's what has definitely impressed me this morning, thankfully, from this class, is that I think we're all regurgitating the same common theme, and that is the appreciation, the respect, the focus that you give on God's commands should be paramount to any emotions. And, and I love that because it sounds like that's what everybody's reiterating here this morning, and and it's wonderful to hear that because that's what the downfall really becomes there is when you start, you know, putting aside God's commandments for what God has said. When he says, hey, it's one man for one woman for life. And then all of a sudden you put in your emotions and you allow that emotions to take over that commandment and that principle that God said. Those emotions cannot dictate the commandments of God. And I think that's some, unfortunately what the, this concept of divorce and remarriage has allowed in our society and in the church. And if you look around and you see churches that I would say are more liberal, or those churches which have really, I believe, risked having their lampstand taken away from the Lord, what you'll see at the very basis of that is a lack of respect for what God's commands are and how important they are compared to our emotions. Right. And what we like and what we feel. And that's really the impetus behind divorce and remarriage is because if you allow your emotions to get into it, you're going to justify anything and everything. And when that slippery slope occurs, you're in hot water at that point in time because you don't know what's going to happen next. And like Caleb has said, it shows you 
that downfall. You know, God says, stay together. And if you don't respect that concept, and you just destroy that, that relationship or whatever you feel like doing that day, then that's laying the very principle, not just for yourselves, but really for your whole family to see, you can do that with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. And so that kind of that same principle undergirds, I think, everything that we have in our Christian mind. Um, to kind of piggybacking off of that, it seems like, too, maybe our generation and the generation of me were more sound when it comes to that but it also seems like we're a little weak when it becomes uh, close to home or inside the you know your your own your own household and I say this for, for instance say one of your children decides that they're homosexual and you love that child and and I've seen this um, and, and one in one point, uh, one person in particular made a statement to a group of people that I've had to change my opinion and my the way I look at homosexuality because my son has come out as a homosexual. In the and in that statement, inferring that he is possibly considering accepting that divorce. Are marrying a you know your, your child finds is dating someone and um, they were previously married and divorced uh, without cause and are wanting to get married remarried are married again to the are married to this to your your child um, that's when things start getting um, complicated too when um, there isn't some sort of uh, strong foundation uh, set. And, and, you know, we've all seen it happen. And, um, again, I go back to that um, where I would just assume them stay single than to, to enter into that. Yes, sir. I would just like to say this, uh, Judge, what we, we, we said a lot in the class, but just remember woman at the well. I know it's a little different situation. Man, I don't have any divorce in my children's life. Me and Jen, we don't have any divorce in our siblings. So I'm not saying that because I'm just saying we serve a forgiving God and Christ forgave that woman at the well. And so don't ever give up if you have been in that situation. You've got in children that situation. We've got a loving God and always you know, support that situation. You will be loved by God. You may be forgiven by God. So I've seen too many just go off on the deep end because they've had that situation and they say they can't serve God now because the way it is. And he told her to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Right. So, not condoning. I'm just saying that's what happened when Christ. John, would you bring a, we don't have a whole lot of time to discuss this, but uh, we talked we about a case scenario to where a lady got divorced. We're going to use the woman because it's here and we'll go through it quickly. And then, of course, she got remarried and she got divorced by that guy. And then, and of course, her life, she was worldly. We know that. Let's talk about that. That's the difference in being in the world and being in Christ. Well, she met a guy, 
And this guy was a Christian. And he had had an influence on her. And she, fast forward, she obeyed the gospel. She was baptized for remission of her sins. She was a new creature in life. Now, the question in the conversation was, could she legally marry this guy that had never been married before? Shouldn't be legally, because that, that can happen. Scripturally. That's right, because she's still... Scripturally. God joined them together, and you can't separate that. And you can't get people... From, well, most of these people, you can't get them to sit down and look at this book right here to guide them. They're going, like y'all are saying, their emotions and their feelings. And when you start doing that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. But uh, God created man and woman for a reason. And he sent Jesus here and set up the church for a reason. And to me, in my little world, those two are parallel to each other. The family of God and the family of the human race is a parallel to me. Thank Just you so Adam much. Had no choice for a wife. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an extra question. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs>